Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with C. Todd Lombardo, Chief Design Strategist at Fresh Tilled Soil and author of Design Sprint. We talk about the relationship between design sprints, lean UX, and agile, common missteps when implementing design sprints, and when design sprints may not be the best tool to use in your design process. Enjoy the show. Today, I'm here with C. Todd Lombardo, Chief Design Strategist at Fresh Tilled Soil and co-author of Design Sprint. C. Todd, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mary. I'd like to get started with um, you talking a little bit about what brought you to the discipline of design. Sure. Uh, It's a bit of a circuitous route, I will say. (laughs) Um, My undergrad degree is in biology and chemistry. And in some sense, biology is a really good insight to design because biology and Mother Nature is one of the ultimate designers. Um, But I went to graduate school for biomedical engineering Hmm. and found myself working. So thinking about designing instruments and designing systems, uh, one of the things about a biomedical engineer is you don't have to be an expert in biology or chemistry or electrical engineering or mechanical engineering or chemical engineering, but you need to understand how they all work together. So thinking in systems is pretty, uh, is pretty much what a designer does. And that education uh, helped me start thinking like a designer before I even knew what design really was. Um, my, my first real interaction with it, I would say, was when I was a product manager for a biotech startup and we were doing hardware, software, and reagents. So it's funny today when I think about how some people are like complaining about, oh, software can be so hard. I think, try getting hardware, software, and biological reagents to work together all at the same time <laughs> and launch it at the same time. It's a, it's a much harder thing. I think that helped me um, as I transitioned into more um, software product design, software product strategy. That made it really hard for me. Uh, like that was a hard thing to do mm-hmm. earlier in my career so that it, it seemed to teach me a lot of lessons that I can now apply um, in my day-to-day job now. But we hired this one guy uh, to help with the UI. And we were, we were these instruments went into mostly hospital labs or university laboratories. Mm-hmm. So fairly technical users, oftentimes people with masters and PhDs. But many times we're seeing that a lot of the lab tech, so um, people with maybe an associate's or even not a, a bachelor's degree, would be using and processing some of the, the samples in this equipment, and they needed to, to use the user interface of this um, instrument. Mm-hmm. So this guy came in, and he just overhauled things, and to the point where my jaw dropped. I mean, this was back in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, so a long time ago. And what he designed, I think, would still hold up today in terms of being a very elegant, well-thought-out UI. And he was just a, a designer contractor. And um, that... That experience just I just blew me away of just how simple and he it was simple and intuitive, but still allowed a variety of different user types to interact with this instrument and get their work done. So that was very, very eye-opening for me. And I talked, I had some conversations with him about what he did, how did he learn it, what did he do? And from there it was a lot of just self-education. I wanted to seek out more about what is this type of design, how does it how can it help me as somebody who's a product manager? What can I do to implement that or incorporate that into my own work? And then the second thing was, and sort of a next next biotech startup was that a few years later, we hired Design Continuum to help design this instrument. At the time, it was about the size of your fridge. And with the help of Design Continuum, we repackaged it to something that would fit on a lab benchtop. Hmm. And again, t- same type of thing, like working with a bunch of designers, thinking about how can we solve this problem? 
Um, so again, continuing to, to self-teach and, and ultimately when Stanford's D-School bootleg, I think I got a, an early copy of that um, from somebody, I was like 2006, 2007. And then from there, it was just, okay, uh, I, I'm bought in. <laughs> How do I incorporate this into everything? And I ultimately uh, eventually went to design school. I went to MICA. Um, mm -hmm. to sort of get the formal credential. And that was fairly recently. Go to design school when you're 40. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm I sure like it's just as advice. awesome when you're 20, but it was really cool. Uh, <laughs> after I'd already gone to business school, I already had a lot of experience. Uh, going to design school was just really, really interesting. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded answer for how I, how I got here. But it really started many, many years ago um, being a product manager. That's awesome. That's awesome. Were you the oldest in the class? No, I was not. Wow. Yeah, there was actually some people older than me, which kind of <laughs> blew me away. Uh, it was a program that was, it was, it was um, data visualization design or information design. Mm -hmm. uh, it was geared for working adults. So the program um, was, you have these residencies, uh, 40 residencies at the MICA campus in Baltimore, but then you do other things online. And so it wasn't like you had to just, you know, quit your work, quit your day job and, and go to school full time. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really, it, I think that helped and attracted a, a more mature, I would say, um, cohort, but uh, great experience and still like the same, you know, mostly the, most of the professors were from like just that same Micah awesomeness was, was a big part of it. That's great. That's great. So, um, so I mentioned you co-authored uh, Design Sprint, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what Design Sprints are, why you think they're important, and what prompted you to write the book. Yeah. Um, design Sprints just make design go faster. That's all. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, it's a bad joke. My stand-up comedy career is, is on hold. Uh, so Design Sprints are this mix really of, and partly these are, they're poorly named, I think is a good thing. Uh, they're really this mix of the design process of problem solving, uh, the scientific method, and an agile approach to problem solving. And think about agile is very much philosophy. I think we'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but it's really this mix of those three things. So you have a design approach to solving problems, which means you have to have some level of empathy for your user. You need to understand the user's perspective, understand the user's point of view, and then ideate and create something. Mm -hmm. that, that could solve for, for them. And the scientific method adds this level of rigor, um, experimentation, testing, and validation to it. So you have some assumptions that turn into a hypothesis that turns into some kind of test. Uh, and the agile philosophy is, is this very fluid, people over process, collaborative, putting the customer first type of nature. So those three things come together and make what is called the design sprint. Now, I think the term was was coined by by Jake Knapp of Google Ventures, but that's really not anything new. It's people have been doing them for a long period of time. I was doing them, calling them different things. I think the thing that Richard and I were initially talking about, he was calling them deep dives. I was, what was I calling them? I was calling them the discovery sprints. Mm. Uh, some people call them sprint zero. A lot of different names for them. Uh, I've heard a few funny ones. Uh, one team that I, I talked to here in Boston, they said, "Oh yeah, we call them a design SWAT." I was like, "SWAT? Like yeah, SWAT, like a SWAT team." Oh, okay, oh. <laughs> all right. Um, so, so they have this, and, and a lot of people are doing it a long time. I think you could even think about um, IDEO's like 1998 shopping cart. You know, the, that four-day um, design <laughs> they did was kind of like a design sprint. So. They're not all that new, although the, the phrase and the term may have caught on a lot. Mm -hmm. And it also to like Roger Martin back in the late 90s and early 2000s, he's known to be a design thinker, or a, a thinker in the space of design thinking. He was actually calling it integrative thinking when he was uh, 
at Rotman, leading the, the Rotman Business School. And it wasn't until maybe I think he met Tim Brown or, or some element of, of them crossing paths. And he realized that the integrative thinking was essentially design thinking. And he had a different, slightly different take on it coming from business school. Tim Brown had it coming from the design world. Um, and then he sort of switched the terminology. So similar kind of thing here is this terminology seems to have, have struck. Mm-hmm. And when Richard and I um, were, were on a bike ride, so um, Richard, Trace, and I co-wrote the book. Richard and I were on a bike ride. We're both avid cyclists. And we were talking about the differences of this approach and what we were doing for them in our respective organizations. At the time, I was working in the innovation loft at Constant Contact. He leading in fresh soil, working with clients. So this is a little bit different. I was more internal. He was more external in terms of how he worked with his teams. And I was looking for a way to train my team um, and I codify the approach a bit. So I had a small like, Google Doc with maybe about 10,000 words roughly on it. And I was like, Richard, there's only a couple. At the time, there's like maybe one or two blog posts from the Google Ventures folks. There wasn't much. I said, well, there's really not a lot out there. There's a couple blog posts you can find. And that's really it. There's nothing that, that goes into to a deeper explanation of what this is and how somebody could use it. I said, look, I'd, I'd probably run maybe two dozen of them at the time. Um, and this is way back in 2000, early 2013, I think. So I said, why don't we write a book on it? Why don't we just write, you know, get our knowledge down? And he looks at me and says, that's a great idea. And instead of like saying, you're crazy, uh, he actually uh, agreed and said, like, oh, we actually have to do this now. <laughs> so um, we started to um, think about it. And eventually we said, well, let's, if it's a design sprint, let's try to take the same flavor. Let's put together a writing sprint. And could we apply a similar approach of the understand, diverge, converge, build, and test some flavor of that into a few days that would help kickstart this book? Mm-hmm. So we did a little four-day writing sprint um, at Michael Connor's house. He lives in Western Mass. He's uh, the executive creative director of Fresh Soul. He's the guy who designed the book. So all the, the graphics and images you see in oh, the book, cool. that's all designed by Michael. So we just huddled away at his house for four days. And we basically gave MC, uh, we call him MC, his name's Michael Connors. We gave MC a, um, a Google Doc like on Friday at like 3.30. <laughs> and he, about two hours later, he's like, okay, hey guys, come here, take a look. And he had mocked it all up in, in um, Adobe's InDesign and made wow. it actually a real book. And so our jaws hit the floor. We thought, wow, this is great. So from there, we said, okay, we actually we might actually have something. We sent the, a PDF copy out to a bunch of friends and colleagues and said, read this. Does it make sense? Are we crazy? They wrote back, like, this is great, really helpful. Um, yes, you should make this a real book. And that's when we started talking to folks like you. And um, I think with our proposals, we had probably like four proposals out. And within 24 hours of sending those proposals, we had offers to, to publish it from a, from a number of them. And we liked you guys the best. So. Oh, yay for us. Yeah. That's a great story. I mean, the writing sprint's interesting because we don't do it very often, but we do implement those from time to time on special projects. So it's interesting to hear that you took it yourselves and ran with it that way. Figured we had to, right? As right. Well, the sprint, we probably should kind of drink our own Kool-Aid a little bit. <laughs> And then after the sprint, we brought on Trace, and um, Trace brought the developer's perspective, which neither Richard or I have. We have more of the design and science perspective. Um, bringing Trace on was from Thoughtbot was fantastic, and he just helps. It, it just you know, again took the, the the level of the book up a notch because we had a third perspective to to beat our own perspectives up and challenge things that may or may not have seemed to make sense at first. And um, I think the overall result is is far superior. Mm. 
That's awesome. Great. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit about this just earlier here, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the relationship between Lean UX, Agile, and Design Sprints, because I think people hear about these things, they think in some ways they're competitive, but talk to me about how these these three relate. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, Design Sprints are really like a mix of it's kind of all of those, right? Mm. Um, it's really scientific method design process and agile philosophy. And agile is really a philosophy, right? There's, I think, 12 principles of working collaboratively together to solve problems, to ship customer, uh, to ship software mm-hmm. uh, to customers that satisfies and delights them, right? That's really the agile approach. It's a philosophy. Uh, lean UX is often, sometimes lean is overused, uh, but I think <laughs> lean in its its a sense is it means reducing reduction of waste, right? Um, Whereas you want some, like I think from a manufacturing days, right? You want to be as lean as you possibly can. So you're reducing any waste and making your manufacturing process really, really efficient. I think that same thing applies to the UX process. Can we take out as much waste of the UX process as we possibly can, you know, calling it lean UX. Now it does have a similar approach because UX user experience is essentially a, des- a design approach, a design process. So they're, they're incredibly, incredibly similar. Oftentimes I think the, the lean UX, especially the book that, um, uh, Jeff, mm-hmm. I think wrote. Um, he he has a sort of a framework or a, a process that he lines out in that book. Um, that kind of I see that happening after a design sprint. Like after you've done a design sprint to sort of do the the heavy thinking and problem solving part of it, and now you've got to do a little bit more execution. Lean UX, uh, or we I would call them jump starts at Constant Contact, or we call them intervals with our clients at Freshold Soil. Mm-hmm. But they're essentially a lean UX cycle, sort of the build, measure, learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wash cycle, I call it, of um, (laughs) like lean startup type of mentality that you can use to continually iterate um, out of what comes out of a design sprint. Because a design sprint does, you do build something, but you typically don't build, this is where sort of the the sprint term breaks down. Typically from agile, a sprint, you would have something shipping to a customer. Like you you put it into production after a sprint. Mm -hmm. With a design sprint, it doesn't necessarily get shipped to a customer. You might build what we call minimum viable concepts. Mm -hmm. So it isn't necessarily something you're going to put in front of a customer as a production level thing. You're putting it in front of a customer to test it with them and learn something. So they both have that element of learning involved. Um, so hopefully that kind of clarifies the difference. Mm-hmm. A lot of overlap, but still difference between the two. Hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's interesting to note that it's when you talk about design sprints too, you're right. People assume there's some sort of, if they don't know anything about it, there's some sort of final product. Yeah. And um, there is, but it's not a production level product. Like right. If you write code um, and you're creating some coded prototype, typically that coded prototype because you really make it in one to two days, usually, mm-hmm. uh, you're not spending five to, to 10 days actually making it so that it's, it is production-ready code. It's just enough to get it to work and, and get it to test whatever hypothesis or assumption that you need to test. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all you need to do and no more. And no more so okay. um, sometimes it, it looks like, oh, wow, this looks like this really works. And it, it might look and feel like it works because you want it to. Uh, <laughs> But it doesn't actually do all the things that it needs to from a uh, like a, a customer, an actual product. Right, right. But it's a major milestone. Just yeah, to say. yeah. It yeah, usually, yeah. usually gets like um, you know, some of our clients have looked at it and said, wow, this is awesome. And they, they, they instantly jump to thinking like it's a working product. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This no. doesn't quite work. Like, it works for these three features and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's progress, but it's not the end yeah, game. Yeah. We've actually learned that this works and this doesn't. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. that's cool. That's great. So, you know, you have taught and trained um, 
designers and about design sprints as well as other things, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you see as the biggest mistakes yeah. or slip-ups that designers make when they're using design sprints. Yeah, I'd probably say the probably one of them is trying to tackle something that's just too big and too unstructured. Design sprints are great at helping to, to navigate some complexity or navigate some ambiguity. Mm. Um but you can't boil the ocean. Boiling the ocean is a common management consultant term you might hear is don't try to do everything. So make sure you do have some level of focus. So if you take a project that's too large, let's say um, we're going to reinvent the travel industry, a design sprint might be really, that might be really, really aggressive to do in what usually is a few days to a week, maybe two weeks. I've seen a, a lot of teams doing a, a two-week design sprint because it matches up with their scrum cadence. So um, it's really hard to tackle something like that big in such a short period of time. Not that it's not possible to think about, but you may end up with a lot more questions or still a lot of stones that are that still need to be uh, unturned. You may have not really had a prototype to give you in the right direction. So hmm. be careful about boiling the ocean would be one, one mistake I'd see. The other one is sort of almost the, the opposite is sometimes I've seen this happen in, in organizations where it's like they got to do a design sprint because they have to check a box. Like, oh, yeah, we're just going to go do this for a few days and then we're going to go make what whatever we think anyways. And I've seen that sometimes where teams do this and they feel like they're kind of doing it because management wants them to do it and not necessarily embodying the actual outcome. So mm. that's another mistake I've seen where the team may go through the motions, but they may not pay enough attention to what's actually happening or management is for forcing the, the mm -hmm. mechanism on a team when it may not be 100% right. Um, or the management's thinking, oh, we're just going to you know actually make... I'm going to have a, a working prototype at the end that's going to mean these features are ready to go. And sometimes they're they're done to just confirmation bias can be a problem. Like mm -hmm. uh, we just get confirmation. We're just confirming what we already know. And that's a bias. You've got to watch out for that. Sometimes people are only paying attention to things that, that will confirm what they already believe rather than listening to something that may go against it. Mm -hmm. So I'd probably say so those are some of the, the things. And the other one probably would be the mistake is um, not spending enough time in the understand phase to, to really understand the problem. Sometimes teams mm. assume they have a good understanding of the problem and they don't really peel the onion back a number of layers to, to really get into what is the really the problem here. There might be a, a symptom and some people stop at the symptom level and don't realize that below it, it could be a, an even deeper problem. Like if you walk into your doctor's office and you say, I got a stomach ache. And he says, great, you need an appendectomy. You might be like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Huh? <laughs> right? That's okay, you may have a, a, an ache in your abdomen, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to, your, your appendix removed. So let's make sure you understand and, and test your way to find the right solution there. Like you might have to do a bunch of tests that can tell you, yes, okay, you do have a problem with your appendix and it does need to be removed. But that doesn't necessarily mean just because you have a, a, a tummy ache is your, is your problem. So mm. kind of a, a thing that sometimes happens. Interesting. Okay. Um, are there times that design sprints are not the best approach? Absolutely. Um, if you're really, really certain about something, if you have, I think, as I mentioned earlier, like if you're trying to boil the ocean, not a good approach. Um, <laughs> you probably want to do some more research and, and, and get a level of focus first. Let's get that. That's sort of like middle ground of you don't want so much focus where you're just, okay, what's the, you know, what color should the button be or where should the button be? If it's too small or if it's too tiny of a feature, if the problem's really, really defined well, um, you probably don't need a design sprint. And if, if you can incorporate the feature or element into your product fairly quickly and easily, like if it's only going to take you a few days to code it and get into production, mm. put it into production and do an A-B test and see how your users re react to it. Um, there's probably some inkling, some intuition that 
the organization or the team might have for why they want to try this out. And if it's a, a very low cost of actually implementing it, just go do it. Don't feel you need to run, you know, four to five days or, or more of a design sprint to, to validate or invalidate if it's only going to take a day to get into your product. Mm, so Good, good, um, good bit of advice there. It's not the only, not yeah. the only tool in the toolkit. Exactly. It is exactly. That's right. It's, it is a tool that like anything has its advantages and has places where it excels, but it can't be applied to everything. Mm. Um, so you train and, and teach quite a bit. Are, what are some of the lessons that you've been taught by the designers or the students that you're teaching? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> sort of a because, twist. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, designers, so I teach a, a handful of different types of folks, too. I teach at a business school, so I teach MBA students. And what I learned from the MBA students is, is how to talk about design to people who don't understand design. Mm. And people who aren't quite bought into it as a tool for problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned from the MBA students that how to talk about what I call capital D design. Because they think design is what I call little d, which is like the pixel pushing, the, mm -hmm. the typography, the graphic design. Because design has had an association with our school for so long, sometimes the, the general population thinks like, oh, design is just an art you know, with uh, design just making it look pretty. It's mm -hmm. necessarily the case. Uh, when I teach designers, oftentimes it's designers are trained really well at at sort of making and crafting things. So things that I learned from them are, are different ways to think about making stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but what I always surprised me sometimes is some designers still struggle with that testing and rigor. Like they 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 still have a challenge. Like there's an intuition there of like, I want to try this out and I want to, uh, but the, I still need to add a level of rigor there. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of that creative rigor, that rigor around design is still, I need to put an emphasis on that. So that sometimes I walk in with too many assumptions around, around that. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, you, I believe you've taught school in Madrid. Yes. Yeah. So IE business school is the school that I teach at. Um, it's uh, probably one of the most top-ranked business schools you've never heard of. <laughs> right. It's, it's amazing. I looked it up and I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How come I didn't know about yeah. this? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's interesting to see when I was looking at – I went there as, uh, for my MBA uh, six, seven – oh, my God, seven years ago. Holy moly. <laughs> um, and when I was looking into business schools, I was um, – Surprised to see that three of the top, I think, 20 worldwide business schools at the time were located in Spain. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Why does why Spain have like three really good business schools? Or at least according to these different rankings. I was looking at The Economist and Financial Times. And I was looking to go um, abroad as well. I wasn't looking to, I lived, a, I live a mile from MIT. And everyone's like, you should go to MIT. And I'm like, ah, oh, but I want to go, I want to run around a different racetrack. Everyone runs around <laughs> that racetrack. Um, how do I be a little different? I want a different experience. So, um, so yeah, it, it's IE, and, and we've actually now incorporated design sprints into the the third term module. So it's now a, a required course there, so that the the MBA students get a a taste of what it's like to run a design sprint with a corporate client in a consulting engagement, so that they they have they walk out of their MBA with um, some level of, of experience in this. That's awesome. So so what is the design community like and the culture like? Um, you know, more. I'm curious to know if they're they're more welcoming of, for instance, design in the in the business school. So interesting. The the business school itself is very entrepreneurial. Um, it's it was started by some Spanish dukes in the early seventies as the Spanish monarchy was disabling. They looked around and said, "Okay, wait, 
people are going to need to learn how to start and run businesses. So let's start a school to help teach people how to do this. Um, and that entrepreneurial just weaves through the whole DNA. Hmm. Um, so the school itself is really good. At, in many senses, they're, they're like designers without even knowing it uh, because they're constantly trying, experimenting, critiquing. Um, but I will say that isn't necessarily reflective of the entire culture of Spain. Mm -hmm. um, Spain still has a little bit of a, a patriarchal, somewhat of authoritarian type of, of culture that I think is slowly going away. Um, so from the design community, I'm while I'm there, I spent, I spent a fair amount of time there. I'm not necessarily knee deep into it. Uh, the people that I know that are in it sometimes express a frustration in that with that culture of, of that sort of patriarchal culture mm -hmm. still there, that sort of hierarchy, um, hierarchical structure in a lot of organizations. I think that's, again, slowly going away, but still present, that I think some of the designers are a little frustrated with that, but there's a lot of really creative people there. Um, very, very creative people. And the design, the designers themselves are amazing. Like what I've seen, a good friend of mine, Umberto Matas, is, is he's now, he started a great firm primarily around service design in Madrid. They were bought by Design It, which I think was then bought by WePro. But he is now being asked to go lead up their New York office because he did such a good job at creating this amazing environment for his designers in Madrid. Mm. And they want him to spread that culture and spread that approach to New York. Um, and it's interesting that they're actually taking a Spaniard and importing him to New York to do this. Um, so there's something there about that level of, of openness. So the pockets that are there are really amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think from a culture overall, it's it still lags a little bit behind where a lot of us are in the United States. Mm -hmm. But it's getting there. It's, it's definitely getting there. Um, but the individual talents, like if you go see the designers work and see what they do and talk to them, you'll be blown away. Hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, what advice do you have for designers who are, you know, currently in the field and want to move into more of a leadership position? Yeah, the first piece of advice I would say is, are you sure you know what you're getting into? <laughs> um, because sometimes people think that being a good designer means I am good at being a manager or a leader. And isn't always necessarily the case. I think that was something that management has only started to really integrate or started to integrate into management and HR culture is that Somebody gets really, really good at design. They're a good designer. If you turn around and now force, you know, five designers to report to that person, and this person goes from designing every day to now managing every day, it's a significant switch. So designers oftentimes they they may or may not have developed communication skills. So depending on what level of communication skills they've developed, they're going to have to really put an effort on that if they want to be a good leader. Because to be a good leader means a good communicator. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, I think it's Mike Montiero talks about, if you can't sell the work, you haven't done the work. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of, to make that jump from being designer to leader is your ability to communicate and essentially sell. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, I want you to buy money for this immediately. It's more like, I need you to understand why I've made these design choices. I need to, to teach you. So the ability to teach somebody um, will help you be a good design leader. Hmm. Um, the ability to communicate and, and have that level of client, um, whether they be an internal client or not, whether even just a, a, a coworker, you could be working at the same company and sort of client. But if you're a designer in a product team, your product team is your client. And you still have to be able to sell them on your ideas and your designs and your design choices and how they fit to the objectives that the, uh, the business wants to achieve. Mm. And so it's so important. I mean, I would say more important now more than than ever, given that a lot of companies are sort of waking up, right, to the idea that, oh, design isn't just about, you know, the small D. 
Um, yeah, exactly. I've, I've actually given a talk a few times called um, Good Design is Good Business. And mm -hmm. part of it is to show showcase that, yes, you the companies that do incorporate design, I think it was Design Management Institute, mm -hmm. at least a, a paper a couple of years ago showing that when you compare design-led companies to S&P 500, design-led companies had like a 270% gain. This was just public companies we're looking at. So um, yeah, I think a lot of people are realizing that design is is really important. And, and this is also part of the shift for Fresh Tilled Soil. We don't need to push pixels as much anymore because companies we work with have you know, troves and armies of designers at their, at their fingertips. It's the, the larger capital D design that they struggle with still. Mm, interesting. So um, I'd love your take on topic that I love to talk about, which is the state of design education. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about traditional uh, design uh, education and the fact that that needs to change. It is changing at some some universities and colleges, but uh, also the need for more project-based uh, education and, and what you see happening um, in this space. Yeah. And actually having only, um, having gone to a, a, for a master's degree in design fairly recently, uh, a couple of years ago, um, it, it's been really interesting to see that and also talk to people who had design, say a design education, say 20 years ago. Mm. Um, I think the tradition of design always being in an art school is slowly changing. I think in many ways it was a good choice because it had to be very project based. It had to be creative. Um, but now we're starting to see like, for example, with IE business school, they're incorporating design modules into their required course. It's no longer, it's an elective. It's actually, you have to take this. And my degree at MICA was this interesting blend of, even though we didn't touch on any anything business, we had this interesting blend of uh, online versus offline and project. So there were some things that were just plain old lectures, but there was a lot of things that were just, okay, here's your project, go do it. And mm -hmm. that's what you, that's what you're graded on. Um, in many senses, business school is a similar type of thing. You give the students a project, they work on that project, they present that project, they get graded on that project. So it's a very project-based and that translates to real life because what are you doing? You're working on projects, right? Writing this book was a project. Uh, when I'm here at a client site right now, we're working on a project for them. So a lot of things you do, that project-based learning is really helpful when you get into the real world. Um, a couple other things I've seen that are really, really interesting. Um, I think it's Design Lab. They have these like online sessions and you hear about like online, like you know, multi well, MOOCs, they're calling multi online mm -hmm. open courseware. Um, they're going to take over, but it's like, well, I, why are universities still existing? How come they haven't wiped them out completely? <laughs> and the thing is that human human interaction, right? We're all people. We need that interaction between our cohorts, uh, our fellow students, and the the face to face time with our professors. Um, one of the things that I've seen Design Lab do, and they tried to blend the online learning and somewhat self-directed, but also with a, a nudge of you have to complete things within a certain period of time. So the time boxing is important, but they also would pair you with a mentor and that mentor, you would have an hour a week um, for one of their little works. It was like a, like a four week workshop you do with them and you'd have a project to do. You'd have some lectures and, and videos and, and readings. And then at the end of that week, you'd have to schedule a one hour session with a mentor. And they would critique your work and talk about things. You could ask specific questions. And so that was an interesting model. That's this hybrid approach of how can we teach somebody this? Uh, because information is so prevalent and essentially free in many cities. You can find almost anything on YouTube these days, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not necessarily the matter of finding information. It's how does the information apply to my own brain? How do I then work on it to develop my own skill set and applying that information? And then how do I get feedback on, on how do I get better? Mm -hmm. right? So those 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 components we're starting to see, I think, from my degree at MICA is starting to change. And 
the degree that I had wasn't necessarily a traditional MFA, but it still was a master's program that that was trying to rethink and think and rethink, you know, what does education look like in, in the design field? Mm-hmm. It is interesting. It's There was an article, I think somebody just posted, I don't know if it was this morning, but the MFA is the new MBA, which I don't, I don't agree with that statement, but um you know, the flip side of it is design is finding its way into all of these other programs, yeah. uh, which is Absolutely. a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's really design with a capital D is really problem solving. So teaching somebody how to solve problems and how to think about it is really important. I grew up with a dad who was an engineer, but I swear he was a designer. Um, hmm. He was such a we would get ourselves into these situations. Uh, we you're a sailor, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. Right. My parents had a boat in Beverly, Mass. And we would find ourselves in a situation. We have to figure ourselves like, OK, how do we fix this? <laughs> We're somewhere out in the middle of Salem Sound uh, and the, we've got this part that's broken. We have to figure out how to fix it. And it's not like we can easily call a tow truck or something. So that type of like problem solving is really, really helpful um, when you can do those things. And I think a lot of that project based problem solving work is what will will continue uh, the growth for design education. Mm-hmm. So I have one final question for you. Sure. Um, beyond your own work, uh, what projects or people are grabbing your attention? What's exciting to you these days? Yeah. So there's probably two big things that I find really interesting. Um, one is just the electric electrification of the auto industry, thinking about how are we moving away from fossil fuels and towards more electric battery driven automobiles. I think, you know, Tesla Model 3 is supposed to be released sometime in the next week or two, or there's going to be an announcement with them. Mm-hmm. I think what Tesla's doing is really interesting. Um, Chevy's Volt was their first one, and the Bolt is their second one. And really interesting to see what they're doing in terms of how are they shifting their own technology platform, because previously it was internal combustion engines, and for the most part still is, but how is that going to shift, and what is that going to mean for... There's a whole plethora of design problems there, right, in terms of how do we then refuel, so to speak? How do we interact with them as we're getting more mobile and these more devices and more connected? Now, how do all these things are connecting to each other? Can we, you know, we have talk about internet of things, like a car is a thing and mm. there's lots of different things that can be connected there and, and figure out how to add value and, and create a better, more harmonious society. I would like to think that'd be really, really interesting. The other thing that I find really, really interesting is uh, IBM Watson and I think, um, Google's as AlphaGo, the sort mm-hmm. of deep learning, mm-hmm. and sort of thinking about how that like big data is really being applied to bigger challenges. And to me, those are some really interesting challenges that I think designers can work on because it's not just about data. And I think we didn't, I know we didn't talk too much about being data literate, but I think that's one of the things to designers need to be data literate. Um, mm. Not necessarily data scientists themselves, there's entire PhD degrees for that, but being data literate and understanding how that works and how you can design around that or use data to help your design or because we're creating so much data, how do we present that data back or how do we design the presentation of that data back to uh, customers and users so that they can make better decisions for whatever it is that they're trying to do. Mm. So those are the couple of things I find really, really, really interesting. Those are great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, C. Todd. Of course, it's a pleasure being here. You can reach C. Todd through his Twitter handle at I am C. Todd. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode.